Chapter Twenty Two of Grace Harlowe's Second Year at Overton College by Jessie Graham Flower. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Two: Campus Confidences. After the Easter vacation, there seemed very little left of the college year. Spring overtook the Overton girls unawares, and golf, tennis, Saturday afternoon picnics, and walking tours crowded even basketball off their schedule. It was delightful just to stroll about the fast-greening campus, arm-in-arm arm with one's best friend under the smiling blue of an April sky. It was ideal weather for planning for the future, but it was anything but conducive to study. "'It's a good thing we work like mad in the winter,' grumbled Elfreda Briggs, giving her Horace a vindictive little shove that sent it sliding to the floor. "'I can't remember anything now except that the grass is green, the sky is blue.' "'Sugar is sweet, and so are you,' supplemented Miriam Nesbit slyly. "'That wasn't what I was going to say at all,' retorted Elfreda approvingly. "'And I beg your pardon,' returned Miriam with mock contrition. "'What were you going to say?' "'Nothing much,' grinned Elfreda, "'except I was weighed today and I've lost five pounds. "'I'm down to one hundred and forty-five pounds now. "'If I can lose five pounds more this summer, "'I shall be in fine condition for basketball next fall.' "'You did splendid work on the sub-team this year,' replied Miriam warmly. "'I'm sure that you will make the regular team next fall.' "'The upper-class girls say they have very little time for basketball,' mused Elfreda. "'All kinds of other stunts crowd it out. "'I'm not going to be like that, though. "'I love to play, and I shall manage to find time for it.' "'Where's Grace tonight?' asked Elfreda. "'I didn't see her at dinner. "'She had a dinner engagement with Mabel Ashe.' "'Fintons?' asked Elfreda. "'Miriam nodded.' "'Grace is lucky,' sighed Elfreda. "'She is always being invited to something or other. "'Her dinner partners always materialize, too,' she added ruefully. "'Which is more than can be said for some of yours,' laughed Miriam. "'Strange you never found out about that, isn't it?' "'It was Elfreda's turn to nod. "'I've often thought I would go to Miss Atkins "'and ask her why she left me to languish dinnerless in my room "'after inviting me to eat, drink, and be merry,' mused Elfreda. "'I hate to go home with the mystery unsolved.' "'I believe I will go ask her now,' she declared with sudden energy. "'I know she's alone, for the enigma isn't there to-night.' Elfreda had recently bestowed this title upon Mildred Taylor on account of her inexplicable attitude toward Grace. "'I've been disappointed in little Miss Taylor,' remarked Miriam slowly. "'I was so sure that she would prove another Arlene Thayer. "'She had the same fascinating little ways, "'and at first she seemed so genuinely frank and straightforward.' "'I wonder what made her change so suddenly,' said Elfreda, walking to the door. "'And toward Grace, especially. "'She doesn't speak to Grace when she meets her. "'She's an enigma and no mistake. "'Now for our friend the anarchist. "'If I don't come back within a reasonable length of time, "'you'll know that I have been annihilated.' Ten minutes went by, then ten more. "'At the end of half an hour, Miriam wondered slightly "'at her roommate's continued absence.' Just before time for the dinner bell to ring, Elfreda burst into the room with, Miriam, will you help me to dress? I'm invited to dinner, and this time I'm going. The aunt, Miss Atkins has forgiven me. Peace has been restored, and we are going out to dine, arm in arm. Elfreda pranced jubilantly about the room, then flinging open the door of the wardrobe, brought forth two large boxes that had come by express the day before, one of them containing her new spring hat, the other a smart suit of natural pongee. "'Stop hurrying for a minute and give me a true and faithful account of this miracle,' demanded Miriam. "'I had begun to think the worst had happened. "'What did you say first, and what did she say?' 
The door of her room stood partly open, and I knocked on it, then marched in without an invitation, replied Elfrida. She was so surprised she forgot to be angry, and before she had time to remember that she didn't like me, I surprised her still further by asking her to tell me why she had refused to speak to me for so long. Before she knew it, she had stammered something about Grace and I calling her names and making fun of her behind her back when she had asked me in all good faith to have dinner with her at Vinton's. She declared she had heard us. The instant she said that, I remembered that I had mimicked her that night while dressing and that Grace had laughed but had said in the same breath that it wasn't fair. So I asked her point blank if that was what she meant, and she said, yes, only she hadn't waited long enough to hear what Grace had said about unfairness. She had come to the door just in time to hear me mimic her and had rushed back to her room angry and hurt. Then I explained to her that I had a bad trick of imitating even my friends and that I had offended more than one person by my thoughtlessness. I was really dreadfully sorry and asked her to forgive me. She had half a mind not to do it. Then she relented, smiled a little, and actually offered me her hand. Of course, after that, I stayed a few minutes to talk things over with her, and she proposed going to dinner. She has changed. In what way I can't explain, except that she is more gentle and not quite so prim. Will you look in the top drawer of the chiffonier to see if I put my gold beads in that green box? You know the one I mean. Miriam obediently opened the drawer, and taking the beads from the box, deftly fastened them about Elfrida's neck. Grace will be glad to hear of this, she remarked. May I tell her and Anne? Yes, returned Elfrida, but please don't tell anyone else. Pinning on her new hat, she hurried off to keep her long-delayed engagement with the new thoroughly pacified anarchist. When the dinner bell rang, Miriam suddenly remembered that of the four friends she was the only stay at home that night. Anne had gone to take supper and spend the evening with Ruth Denton. As she took her seat at the table, she noted that Emma Dean's and Mildred Taylor's places were also vacant. "'Where is everyone tonight?' asked Irene Evans, who sat opposite Miriam. "'Grace, Anne, and Elfrida were all invited out this evening,' answered Miriam. "'I don't know anything about Miss Dean and Miss Taylor.' "'Emma is spending the evening with her cousin, that other Miss Dean of Ralston House,' replied Irene. "'Miss Taylor,' she shrugged her shoulders slightly, "'is with Miss Wicks and Miss Hampton, I suppose.' "'I don't think I shall overstudy to-night,' announced Miriam, a little later, as she rose from the table. "'I'm going for a walk. Want to go with me?' "'I'm sorry,' replied Irene regretfully, "'but I have a frightfully hard chemistry lesson ahead of me to-night.' It had been an unusually balmy April, and now that the moon was at the full, the Overton girls took advantage of the fine nights to walk up and down College Street or the campus. Sure of finding someone she knew, Miriam slipped on her sweater and, disdaining a hat, strolled down the street toward the campus. Exchanging numerous greetings with students, she wandered aimlessly across the campus toward a seat built against a tree where she and Grace had had more than one quiet session. As she neared the seat, which was somewhat in the shadow, she gave a little startled exclamation. A girl was crouching at the darkest end of the seat, her face hidden in her hands. Turning away, Miriam was about to recross the campus when the utter despondency of the girl's attitude caused her to go back. Stopping directly in front of the bowed figure, she said gently, "'Can I help you?' The girl rose and, without answering, was about to hurry away, when Miriam, after one swift glance at her face, ran after her, exclaiming, "'Wait a moment, Miss Taylor!' Mildred Taylor stopped and eyed Miriam defiantly. Despite her expression of bravado, she looked as though she had been crying. "'What do you want?' she asked in a low voice. "'To talk with you,' said Miriam boldly, stepping forward and slipping her arm through Mildred's. "'Shall we sit down here and begin?' 
All my friends have deserted me tonight. There were ever so many vacant places at the dinner table. I noticed you were away, too. I... I have... haven't had any dinner, faltered Mildred. Then, staring disconsolately at her companion for an instant, she dropped her head on her arm and gave way to violent sobbing. I'm so miserable, she wailed. Miriam sat silent, touched by Mildred's distress, yet undecided what to do. Things were evidently going badly with the cute little girl. She had done something she is sorry for, was Miriam's reflection. After a slight deliberation, she said gently, Is there anything you wish to tell me, Miss Taylor? Mildred raised her head, regarding Miriam with troubled, hopeless eyes. Miriam took one of the little girl's hands in hers. Don't be afraid to tell me, she said earnestly. I'm your friend. You wouldn't be if you knew what a miserable, contemptible coward I am, muttered Mildred. I can't tell you anything. Please go away. Her head dropped to her arm again. Miriam, still holding her other hand, patted it comfortingly. No one is infallible, Miss Taylor. I once felt just as you do tonight. Only I am quite sure that my fault was much graver than yours can possibly be. Mildred raised her head with a jerk. She looked at Miriam incredulously. I don't think you ever did anything very contemptible, she said sceptically. Let me tell you about it, replied Miriam soberly. Then you can judge for yourself. The person whom I wronged has long since forgiven me, but I can never quite forgive myself or forget. It was during my first year in high school that I began behaving very badly toward a new girl in the freshman class of whom I was jealous. I was a star pupil of the class until she came. Then she proved herself my equal, if not my superior, in class standing, and I tried in every way to discredit her in the eyes of her teachers and her friends. The end of the freshman year, some of money was offered as a prize to the freshman who averaged highest in her final examinations. Feeling sure that this other girl would win it, I managed, with the help of someone as dishonest as myself, to gain possession of the examination questions, but before I had finished with them, I was obliged to drop them in a hurry to escape discovery by the principal. By the merest chance, a girl I disliked happened along just in time to be suspected of tampering with the papers. But she had friends who fought loyally for her and cleared her of the suspicion. She won the prize. Nothing was ever said to me about it, but I know that the principal and at least four girls in school knew what I had done. When I entered the sophomore class in the fall, I felt a positive hatred for this girl and for her friends. I did all sorts of cruel, despicable things that year, and succeeded in dividing my class into two factions who opposed each other at every point. Toward the last of the year, I grew tired of being so disagreeable. My conscience began to trouble me seriously. Then one day, the two girls I despised did me a great service, and my enmity toward them died out forever. I can't begin to tell you how differently I felt after I had acknowledged my fault and been forgiven. Those girls are my dearest friends now. You know them, too. You—you you don't mean Miss Harlowe and Miss Pearson? asked Mildred in a low tone, her eyes fixed upon Miriam. Miriam nodded. Grace and Anne are the most charitable girls I ever knew, she said softly. If they were not, they would not have forgiven me. Anne was the girl who won the prize. Grace was one of the friends who stood by her. If you feel that you have done someone an injustice, you will not be happy until you have righted matters. If the person refuses to forgive you, you at least will have done your part. I can't go to the, the person and tell her, faltered Mildred. I should die of humiliation. But you don't wish to go away from Overton carrying this burden with you, persisted Miriam. It will weigh heavily upon you when you come back next fall. I'm not coming back next fall, mumbled Mildred. 
I shall never again be happy at Overton. Brace up and square things with the other girl, and you'll feel differently, retorted Miriam. If it were anyone else besides Miss Harlowe, began Mildred. Oh, I'm so sorry you told me her name, exclaimed Miriam regretfully. Now that I know it is Grace, however, I shall redouble my advice about going to tell her. You need have no fear that she will not forgive you. Grace never holds grudges. I can't do it, declared Mildred tremulously. I'm afraid. Miriam looked at her companion rather doubtfully. I think Grace is the person with whom to talk this matter over, she declared. Suppose we go over to Wayne Hall now. She went to dinner at Vinton's with Mabel Ash, but she must be at the hall by this time. Oh, I can't, gasped Mildred nervously. Yes, yes, I will if you will come with me while I tell her. I think it would be better for you to go to her by yourself, said Miriam dubiously. I can't do it, protested Mildred miserably. Please, please come with me. Then let us go now, returned Miriam decisively. We may catch Grace at home and alone. During the walk across the campus the two girls exchanged no words. Mildred was trying to summon all her courage in order to make the dreaded confession. Miriam was thinking of the day that belonged to the long ago when she had confessed her fault and joining hands with Anne Pearson and Grace Harlowe had sworn eternal friendship. She felt only the deepest sympathy for the unhappy little girl at her side, for having been through a similar experience she understood clearly the struggle that was going on in Mildred's mind. Twice the little freshman stopped short, declaring she could not and would not go on, and each time, with infinite patience, Miriam buoyed and restored to firmness her shaking resolution. "'You do not know Grace Harlowe,' Miriam said as they neared Wayne Hall, "'or you would not be afraid to go to her and tell her what you have just told me. She is neither revengeful nor unforgiving, and I am sure that she will be only too glad to help you begin all over again.' "'But not here at Overton,' quavered Mildred. You can decide that later, Miriam said kindly as they entered the house. But she smiled at herself, for she felt reasonably sure that Mildred would come back to Overton for her sophomore year. End of chapter 22 Recording by Ashley Jane